Letter from E.L. Ewell to Dr. Seth B. Nicholson. Category number 0031. May 10th, 1932. Dear Sir, You speak of the angular distance of the North Star from the North Celestial Pole. My question was to know the distances, not an angular distance, in statute miles. Does one degree equal 30 minutes? An angle or about 90 statute miles between the North Celestial Pole and the North Star in the vicinity of the star, comma, question mark? That is the question. You say sunshine is radiated heat from the sun 93 million miles. If that were true, there would be no cold between the Earth and sun, but it is cold everywhere three miles up. And in 93 million miles, you have the heat reduced to only thermometer capacity. According to this, the remaining heat to go farther to warm these poor fellows on the superior planets would be short and cold long before reaching them, and just pity those scorched people on Venus and Mercury. Your question, can vacuum be hot or cold? Why don't you get busy trying to win my $25 reward? Very truly, <laughs> FLE one. From no one may ever have the same knowledge again. Letters to Mount Wilson Observatory. Would you like to introduce us? Yeah, you're listening to Poor Man's History. This is our bi-weekly podcast about interesting historical artifacts, weird Wisconsin history, true crime, mm-hmm. in which most of the time we aren't exactly clear on what we're going to be told until we're hearing it. That is podcast. true. You've been teasing your story. Uh, yeah. So we haven't recorded in quite a while. You've been teasing your story with one word. Haunchyville. <laughs> Uh, I think you'd better go first and tell me the tale of Haunchyville. All right. There's a place somewhere deep in the woods of Muskego where a group of mysterious little people have created their own pint-sized mini-utopia. Travel down a disused gravel road and you'll stumble upon this bizarre and wondrous place, a place populated by tiny houses, tiny roads, and tiny streetlights. Oh, and by the town's tiny Denzians who don't want you there. If these accursed little people don't run you out themselves, their guardian, a shotgun-wielding albino man, surely will. (laughs) This isn't a comedy bang-bang bit. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll be one of the lucky few who have discovered and survived one of the area's greatest secrets, Haunchyville. Yes, the story of Haunchyville has intrigued and delighted countless bored teenagers and bong-hitting college students for decades. So this folklore... I mean, we all had the Bob Marley poster, (laughs) Big Lebowski, Haunchyville... (laughs) I mean, the name name Haunchyville is just, uh, there's a book that I had by a woman named Linda Godfrey. It's called Weird Wisconsin, Your Travel Guide to Wisconsin's Local Legends and Best Kept Secrets. There was this period of time where people sort of fascinated by Wisconsin lore that really leaned into the weird Wisconsin thing. There's this book. There's some roadside books. There's 
that book about Black River Falls called Wisconsin Death Trip. Uh, is that also the name of a band, right? <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> there was just this period of time when I started getting really interested in this kind of stuff. I had not heard of this. Yeah, there's a, I don't know, it's hard to judge it objectively because I grew up in Wisconsin. I don't know if it's because it's like the south of the north, or I don't know what weird culture mashup created the idiosyncrasies of of Wisconsin when you get, uh, the farther you go north, like the stranger and more unapologetic things become. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, along with like the weird Wisconsin stuff was, well, a book that I had helped work on to some extent, like Midwestern Strange. That's a Tucker Max book? Midwestern Strange. Well, and is it Midwest Strange? Here, let me... T- Midwestern Strange, Hunting Monsters. That was a B.J. Howler's book. Yeah, that does sound like a Tucker. But God. In any case, there's no shortage of books about folklore. So the origins of Haunchyville go back to the 1950s. What began as a passed-down story designed to amuse and delight gullible younger brothers has even carved out a peculiar niche in the 21st century. There's Facebook pages and YouTube videos dedicated to Haunchyville Abound. The YouTube videos for this story are really weird. (laughs) It's an urban legend, of course, and like so many other urban legends, a malleable one. In some tellings, Haunchyville was created by a group of peaceful circus performers looking for shelter from the cruel, average-sized world. And others, the founding little people, have gone feral and insane and will stop at nothing to keep outsiders at bay. That's where the shotgun-wielding albino protector is sometimes involved. I think I have to ask right off the bat, are we talking Indian in the cupboard, or are we talking, like, little people? I would imagine them to be like David the Gnome sized. Okay. If there's one thing that remains constant in the Haunchyville mythos, however, it's the absolute necessity for ill-advised late night road trips to confirm the existence of the mysterious town. Making these missions appealing is the fact that the actual location of Haunchyville is up in the air. The most agreed upon site shall remain unmentioned here, though it can be Googled in approximately two seconds. So that is Mystic Drive in Muskego. Uh, where would that be if we were to go driving there now? It's in Waukesha County, okay. down south. Making the trips even more appealing is the fact that local law enforcement, clearly in cahoots with top Haunchyville brass, are all too happy to patrol the area and hand out citations to would-be snoops. So there's this Lieutenant David Const. Tantino of the Muskego Police Department. He grew up in Muskego, but he had never heard of Haunchyville until he he started working for the police department. And he's got some direct quotes. There are rumors about an axe murderer living there and little people living in little houses, he said. But now the area has been built up. There aren't a whole lot of kids going down there anymore. However, several years ago, when the homes were being built... This lieutenant remembers writing a number of tickets. Some kids were just curious. Some just wanted to find a place to drink. But the point we want to drive home, he said, there are no little people there, no axe murderers, just nice tax-paying people who want to live in peace. Not an outright denial. People who want to live Maybe the Haunchyville people are paying taxes. (laughs) 
No trespassing signs like the one you saw are posted throughout the area. The police department has taken a tough stance on the issue. If they catch you trespassing, you'd better have some pretty deep pockets because the trespassing ticket carries a $334.50 fine. So there was a piece that was written in 2013 for the Muskego Patch, their newspaper. He says, piggybacking off of the nice taxpaying people, if we catch you, you are going to get a ticket. So like they're still, even in 2013, like they don't want anybody guy sounds awfully defensive for somebody who's never heard of this before he joined the force. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so I know what the penalties are. Is there a tiny little city somewhere? (laughs) Well, you saw that house. Okay, maybe, I mean, the picture is very small. Maybe I didn't consider (laughs) the scale of what I was looking at. That is a legitimate photo. It looked like a barn in the distance. Can you put it up again? I'll scrutinize it. I will Against the height of the grass. You know what? Why don't you look at it on my phone? It's like a little stone. Okay, it looks like a doghouse. Well, closer in size to that maybe than a... Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I guess what I'm wondering is, I want to know if there's a tiny city. Well, that's what Matt Wilde wanted to know. Okay. So he drives there. Five years ago this past June, I made a trek to Haunchyville and wrote about it for the now-defunct AV Club Milwaukee. I found, well, something. Not a bustling burg of pissed-off circus folk hell-bent on keeping outsiders away and not a crumbling community of gone-to-pot loners and their grizzled caretaker. Instead, I found a woodsy and secluded section of suburban acreage littered with countless no-trespassing-and-keep-out signs, oh, and some very small, creepy-ass stone huts. Here's my 2010 report. Driving down a heavily wooded road in this area, it's easy to see why it's become haunchy ground zero. Tall grass and trees provide plenty of cover, and a long gated private drive snakes off even deeper into the woods. In fact, it's near this gate that something strange can be seen. Less than 50 yards off the road, buried deep in the underbrush and hidden from prying eyes, is a series of small, crumbling stone huts. Far from the bustling town of legend, there's still something undeniably intriguing about these ruins and something decidedly unsettling. Maybe this might be evidence of the fabled Haunchyville? But the most important thing I found that day was the looming demise of the Haunchyville legend itself. While crumbling evidence of Haunchyville may or may not exist, the sad fact is that much of the area has fallen victim to suburban sprawl. Surrounding cornfields have been bulldozed into sterile subdivisions, and the nearby forests that once likely provided many a haunchy shelter from the cruel outside world have given way to paved roads and McMansions. So too has the legend's popularity faded. Aside from a dedicated few 
the young, the adventurous, the terminally bored, it seems the most... <laughs> the bitter cop. <laughs> it seems that most Milwaukeeans have all but given up on Haunchyville and are content to let the legend die out along with the surrounding countryside. About the only thing that remains is the beat-up private road sign I had snapped a picture of in 2010. Is this really the end of Haunchyville? Yes, the legend has been on wane for decades, judging from the number of articles and videos that use my original 2010 pictures, I may be one of the few people keeping it alive. Haunchyville is dead. I get in my car and begin to drive home. On my way out, I pass a yoga pants-clad mom pushing a baby stroller. She waves to me. I wave back. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but I think I see a slight grin on her face. I know why you're here. It's okay. Keep looking. So... There's a couple of videos, and I'm going to share them with you here. Okay. And then we'll share them on the site. Disrupt a piece will cut off your feet to teach you a lesson and remain discreet. Count your blessings should you dodge or kill. But never come back to Hunchyville. <laughs> so that's the Hunchyville rhyme that's been viewed like 2,600 times. And then there's, we'll share this too. There's like a Haunchyville survivor they they who's all blacked either. out. Yeah. We started running through the woods trying to get back to our car. It was then their houses started emptying out. And there was, I don't know, there had to be 20 or 30 of them that were, that were trying to find us and chase us through the woods. But it was their woods. So they and knew better than we did. that has like 20,000 views. And it was put out by Marquette University Television. And it's supposed to be funny. But there's certainly a real lore that they're riffing on. Oh yeah, okay. So the 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 first video that's that's some like kids in a high school like video class. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the vibe they have, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the the most well agreed upon theory is is like a circus circus outcast. Yes, looking for like some sort of refuge, and I guess I don't know how far away Baraboo is from Muskego because there is the the Circus World Hall of Fame. Yes. Well, I was going to ask, there's no small town that has a Haunchyville Museum because that's that would be very on brand for Wisconsin. <laughs> Absolutely it would be. I know. Uh, no. And other than these few, I definitely had not heard of it before. And I would love for there to be something like that. I don't know how robust of a museum it would be because there's really... Well, where did it start? Okay. So, like, who started it? Do you know what, so, I, what I mean? I don't have a better alternative theory, but I feel like the Circus Carney theory feels like the product of like high schoolers in a more insensitive age. Yeah. Because if you found evidence of like a colony of tiny people, little stone huts, Carney Outcasts would like get uh, an apartment together. <laughs> like they're not cavemen. Like they right. would like the building tiny stone huts is speaks to something so much more like ancient and weird <laughs> or off-worldly than than like Well, there is also <laughs> a, a theory that they are just that's not that, that they are just like this group of small people that are really protective of their area and have like gone deranged, you know. What's really interesting though is that there is a town in Gibbonston, Florida that is actually 
most of the town is full of aging or retired circus performers. And like, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but I don't. I'm sure there's an awesome documentary about it. (laughs) There's got to be. I don't know where I had heard of it. But anyway, there is something wonderfully curious about the original set of these little stone cottages. Like, why were those there? Were they like used to store like canning supplies during like the great days of the settlers coming here yeah i'd like to think of it as like feral children maybe little stone huts that are like crumbling and dilapidated by the time this guy visits i don't know how long this has been getting told in high schools and stuff but like that speaks to a a community that existed like a long time ago and like why is it called haunchyville i mean a lot of this, I feel like you have to peel back the layers of, like, the albino, like, shotgun-toned madman a midget is like, oh, that that was all born in some high school homeroom class. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so once you peel that back and you have these tiny little huts somewhere in, like, rural Wisconsin. I mean, that's the interesting There's something really part. fascinating. Yeah. That there's a physical, there's physical evidence of, of this. Is there evidence of, like uh the 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 hodgepodge or whatever what's the what's the monster of wisconsin the hodag oh (laughs) well i mean that's its whole own thing because there are people who have claimed to have seen the hodag and all this sort of yeah i've seen bigfoot and like but like this guy got photos of the little stone huts like that's more evidence than a lot of myths get yeah. The fact that this is the one that would be forgotten is 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 kind of a crime because Yeah, because there actually was evidence of something very curious, right? Oh my god, someone nobody went through like I don't know, the deed history of like land ownership to No kidding. And well, the part of that comes <laughs> from the fact that, you know, they didn't ever want to officially give out the address for where this yeah, was. Yeah, we, we have to start by talking to this cop. This is going to become a cool and unusual punishment story. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, they didn't want anybody trespassing in there. Like, who owned that land? I don't know. This isn't like a child's playhouse. It's <laughs> livable, but very small. Yeah. And when were they built? They sure look old. Fuck. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's this little weird story I stumbled upon. All right. Well, I also have a mystery for you. Ooh. This one takes place on the other side of the world. I want to bring you to a town called Larima, Australia. It is as in the outback. Outback. It's the outback. <laughs> as you could possibly be in the outback. <laughs> December 16th, 2017. A man named Patty Moriarty goes into the Pink Panther. The Pink Panther Hotel and Bar. It's the only bar in this tiny little dusty outback town. He's a blue collar laborer, outback worker, <laughs> whatever you do. Uh, this is a routine for him. He, you know, goes into the Pink Panther after a long day's work with his dog, Kelly. Uh, this guy must be Irish. Paddy Moriarty. Yeah. Kelly. Uh, goes in there with his dog to have his after work round of beers. Got a picture of him here. Oh, looks great. 
He has his eight beers, typical for Mr. Moriarty, and then he left home with his dog by his side. He was never seen again. Neither was his dog. Oh. A three-day search by foot, on four-wheel drives, and from the air ruled out death by misadventure. To date, police have found no trace of Mr. Moriarty or his dog. Four days later, the police arrive in Larima to investigate the town of 11 people (laughs) to find out what happened. Is this the town he lived in? Uh, yes. Oh my god, okay. So... This is both hopeful and not hopeful at all. This is a bit of a... (laughs) It's gonna get solved. It's a bit of a murder mystery. How a man in a town of 11 people, 10 people now, (laughs) just disappears when the police arrived in Larima, they entered Mr. Moriarty's unlocked house to find a cowboy hat on a cooler box and a barbecued chicken still in the microwave. The authorities suspect foul play and have been treating the case as a homicide and every single person in Larima, all 11 of them, being probed for clues. But with no clear evidence or even a motive for Mr. Moriarty's disappearance, every one of Larima's 11 residents is in one way or another part of the investigation with each pointing a finger at a neighbor or two while denying their own involvement in what has become the latest mystery to capture Australia's imagination. So I'm going to give you the cast of some of our suspects as we try and solve this mystery. Lerma is about the size of a city block and surrounded by head-high, impenetrable, thick scrub. Red dirt tracks are everywhere and the main road through town has long been notorious for murderers and mysterious disappearances, including a British backpacker who vanished 17 years ago. It's a pit stop for exhausted tourists driving north to south, but it is also a place where Aboriginal Australians, even today, refuse to live because they say it's haunted. I don't know how well you know Australia, but I don't know it that well, and when I think of Australian, where civilization is in Australia, it's on the East Coast, where the cities are, Melbourne and, and Sydney, like, yeah. it's it's on that side. And then anything west of that is just desert. Larima is, like, in the center of Australia, northern center of Australia. <laughs> I don't know what exists out there except for towns like this. But that's how removed from <laughs> the world at large this place is. And it's thought to be haunted. <laughs> and it's thought to be haunted. There are only two gathering places for residents and visitors. The Pink Panther and Fran Devonshire's tea house. Quote, Patty used to be here nearly every day. I miss him so much, said one of Mr. Moriarty's closest friends, Barry Sharp, 76, the publican of the Pink Panther. Mr. Sharp told me his passion is nurturing the exotic animals he keeps behind the bright pink hotel, which he has owned for almost 15 years. The mix includes rare and exotic birds, snakes, and a hulking saltwater crocodile named Sam to whom some suspect Mr. Moriarty was fed after being murdered. Now, (laughs) Barry Sharp might be the only guy in the story who's (laughs) introduced as a friend of Patty. (laughs) Uh, All Mr. Sharp said he knew about the disappearance was that his friend did not show up for, quote, church, a Sunday morning ritual in which residents gather in the Pink Panther's front room to watch Landline, the nation's premier rural affairs program. (laughs) It was then that locals sounded the alarm. One of the last people to see Mr. Moriarty was Richard Simpson, 
the one-time bartender at the Pink Panther, who has a reputation for volatility. Quote, He was every day drunk before lunch. Mr. Sharp said of Mr. Simpson, former bartender, not only smashed, but not very pleasant. Mr. Simpson scoffed at similar accusations when asked about them during the coroner's inquest, a public hearing in which witnesses are questioned in open court. Upon being told that some people in Larimer thought he had something to do with the disappearance, Mr. Simpson declared them all, quote, goddamn fools. Uh, Mr. Simpson no longer works at the pub. Mr. Sharp said he was fired a week before the coroner's inquest. He appeared to have moved on and has since been replaced by someone else, keeping Larimer's population steady at 11. Uh, now this is where the finger pointing starts. This is like a game of Clue. Mr. Sharp suggested Simpson, the former bartender. Mr. Simpson instead suggested that the police should be looking elsewhere, down the road at the tea house. Quote, I've got no pies left. A short woman with spiked blonde hair shrieked from the kitchen. A row of RVs lined up outside as patrons spilled out to buy tea and pies despite online reviews warning of, quote, rubbish food and questionable prices. The cook, Fran Hodgetts, 75, has long prided herself on her scones and meat pies. She's 75? Yes. She looks hearty. <laughs> outback living. Yeah. She often tells visitors they are famous around the world. Now, though, they are renowned for all the wrong reasons. Quote, I reckon he's in the pie, jokes Robin Dugnan a visitor from Victoria who had been following Mr. Moriarty's case in the news media and stopped by to see if there had been any developments. Quote, he went through the mincer, he added, from the tea house's garden, a yard scattered with old toys and signs trumpeting Miss Hodgins' culinary expertise. Mr. Moriarty and Miss Hodgins were neighbors who often clashed, the police said. He lived directly across the main road from the tea house and several people in town said it had annoyed him when her customers parked on his property. As payback, residents said, Mr. Moriarty routinely told them not to eat her food because nothing was homemade or fresh, adding that even his dog would not eat her pies. <laughs> if Mr. Moriarty had enemies, he also had allies. Years ago, when Mr. Sharp, the publican from the Pink Panther, decided his crocodile Sam was not enough of an attraction, he started selling his own meat pies. Mr. Moriarty advertised those pies in front of his house with a massive sign that said, Larima Hotel, best pies in town. <laughs> so you can begin to see why <laughs> there'd be a reason to kill people in this town. I mean, sort of. I guess when you don't have much going on, these stakes feel very high. This all feels completely absurd like who would kill somebody over any of this really well miss hodgetts told investigators that mr moriarty regularly taunted her he often called her quote the bush pig a name that caught on with some of her neighbors last year it got serious enough for her to seek out an order of protection but a local court rejected her request she said she last saw mr moriarty four days before he went missing when she accused him of putting a dead kangaroo near her house. <laughs> she denies that these, uh, these clashes led to his going missing. Quote, imagine me carrying a dog in a body. I mean, come on. Ms. Hodgett said at the inquest in June, 
I've had me septic done, me incinerator searched, me house done four times, she added, referring to a police search for property. Nobody found anything. She has an incinerator. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's completely normal. Nothing but normal meat bones in that incinerator. The testimony from Miss Hodgetts, sitting on the stand in a tiny courtroom in the nearby town of Catherine, was part of an investigation by the Northern Territory Coroner, a special magistrate assigned to determine the cause and manner of Mr. Moriarty's death. Local authorities said they are so reliant on the residents to solve the case that they held the inquest much earlier than they normally do, in part because most of the residents are in their 70s and might not have years to wait. Bobby Roth, a Larima local of 19 years, who used to wash dishes at the tea house, said the cafe owner didn't like Mr. Moriarty. Quote, she used to say, I'll kill Patty, Miss Roth said at one point, breaking into tears. But during her own testimony, Miss Hodgetts ended up shifting attention to her gardener, Owen Laurie, 71, a tall, burly man who was known for keeping to himself and taking good care of the tea house plants. <laughs> Questioning centered on an argument that he and Mr. Moriarty had had about Kelly, Mr. Moriarty's dog, three days before he disappeared. That day, Kelly had been barking at the tea house from a spot in the middle of the road. An argument between Mr. Moriarty and Mr. Lorry ensued, according to the testimony, with Mr. Lorry shouting at Mr. Moriarty to shut the dog up or, quote, I'll shut it up for you. Miss Hodgetts went a step further, telling the court that Mr. Lorry attempted to, quote, jump the fence. Is Mr. Laurie still working for the tea house, even after this finger pointing? As far as I know. A lot of these things, like, the guy who was the bartender said that somebody replaced him, so I guess he, if you get fired, I guess you leave town. Like, where else do you go? There's three places to go. Yeah. So, either he's officially gardening, or he's still living behind her house and probably tends to the plants anyway. I, quote, I told him, don't do anything stupid, Miss Hodgett said. Mr. Laurie admitted to having a bad temper, but he denied any involvement, turning the court's attention back to where Mr. Moriarty was last seen, the Pink Panther. Around the bar, patrons still talk about Mr. Moriarty's disappearance. Church on Sundays has resumed, but without the charm Mr. Moriarty used to bring to it. Because he had no family in Australia, the public trustee now controls his property. To keep an eye on anything that might look suspicious, his home has been fitted with security cameras and is flanked by a large missing person sign. It includes a picture of Mr. Moriarty smiling with a question many in town are still asking. What happened to Patty? Do you remember Cream, Wisconsin? Yeah. It's like that if every, well, maybe everyone is in their 70s. Uh, and then there was a murder. So yeah. Trying to Google real quick if there's an update, and I don't think there is. There was a public this public inquest happened. Everybody th- throwing around their accusations. So public inquest is not something that happens here, correct? This feels like something out of like a murder mystery novel. It really does. All it seems it does. like a, a court ordered like everyone come here and like say what you got to say. Like it seems perfectly manufactured for a town of eleven people to just yeah. sling all their grievances in one room. <laughs> Two years on, police have no official suspects. They vowed to continue their investigations for as long as it takes, but there's a little sign of a breakthrough that would lead to solving the Patty Moriarty mystery. So, did he, was his car, did he have a car, was it there? 
Did they do any land searches? Well, I don't know if he has a car, but he like walked home. I'm assuming it wasn't far. Disappeared, and then they searched by air. They like patrolled the outback. Somebody in this town killed him. Do you think any of the people I showed you are capable of killing someone and a dog and then hiding it? The alligator guy, the meat pie lady. It seems like something out of like a B-movie. Yeah. Murder mystery. (laughs) These characters. (laughs) It feels foolish to me in a town of like literally nobody to kill. Well, obviously they've gotten away with it so far because they haven't figured it out. What I was going to say is, God, if you have a town of 11 people and you are one of 11 people that have committed the murder... Well, how long is it going to be before they figure it out? And I, does an alligator really eat a whole person? Probably not. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that the meat pie thing and the alligator thing are like, that's what like tourists are like. That's the jokes that get made. But it seems if one of them killed him, I believe that they would be able to keep it a secret. Because like rumors spread quickly in small towns, unless the town is only 75 year olds who like, if you're one of these people and you kill them, like. Who would you, like, you would just never tell anybody. and You'd be so happy you got away with it. And you just go to your grave smiling. Yeah. I believe that that secret can stay under wraps. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of stuck on the food in the microwave thing. Just because the last place he was seen was the bar. You probably don't put a chicken in the microwave before you go to work or something. Absolutely So not. that would suggest he got home. Mm-hmm. And something happened before he even got his food out of the microwave. Did somebody come to the door? There were photos I saw of his house. I mean, it was pretty messy, but it didn't seem like... It wasn't noted that there was, like, a struggle or anything. So somebody, like, drew him out. Or, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe the wild monsters of the Australian outback drew him out. And maybe it wasn't a person, but... Something made him fucking vanish. Yeah, I mean, unless he's, you know, bachelor, forgot that he had something in there. Something happened... To keep him from getting his food out of the microwave and whatever it was that happened involved him and his dog. Yeah. The part where the dog is missing follows more with he was walking home from the bar or something like that. The fact that the dog's missing makes me think like he left. You'd have to leave intentionally as opposed to like wandering off and dying in the desert if they didn't find his body. Yeah. Because that would mean you took the dog with you. Yeah. Like, how do you kill both of them and hide both of the bodies? The most believable theory I have is that Patty Moriarty, in a final act of cheekiness to this tea house owner he hates, or or just maybe all the people in this town, plans his disappearance knowing that the 11 remaining 75-year-olds, like, <laughs> when asked about it, will just immediately start like, well, I remember three days ago, the gardener was like, I'll... Make you and your dog disappear. That seems like a funny thing that, like, the, the local uh, drunk would would think is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I would be curious to know, you know, was there money left? You know, was there any, a wallet there? You think it's just the same $10 shifting hands in that town? Yeah, well, this is really weird. I mean, this feels like uh, I could get stuck on this in the same way I got stuck on the one about the hiker with the body that was like emaciated in the tent. And that also doesn't make sense in a weird way because like this guy, you know, he looks middle-aged. He's certainly not 70, but 
if you no mention of a vehicle, so we don't know that. But the fact that people where, knew where something was go? wrong when he didn't show up on Sunday morning yeah. suggests a routine that this guy has that you know. Like I can picture what the rest of his life is like if he works. He's a laborer, you know. Yeah, in rural I don't. Australia. I don't know if I think he left. Boy, I don't know. But then there's always the possibility of, you know, there's tourists that drive through there. There could have been some passerby who, like, managed to get him close enough. Yeah, I don't think any of those people would be good at. Well, they all just look really old and, okay, you've got this weird little feud with the meat pie lady. Would you have the energy to kill a man and a dog and not, like, be openly proud of it if you did? Yeah. Like, well, that was... Goddamn right, I killed him. <laughs> He's not, like, a huge guy, but he looked somewhat tall from that photo. I mean... <laughs> I mean, he's I don't definitely know. I could bigger and stronger than anybody else. Huh. Okay. This is... Also, I have to give credit to JC... This is a story she brought up on Wisconsin Bound a long time ago, and it was like the most fascinating thing I'd ever heard. Yeah, this is a good one. I'm still thinking about it, so you got to close this up. Yeah, we got two mysteries to solve to to, to mull on. Yeah. Uh, Next week, I'm going to throw it to you to to do a cold opening. Out of that book or something else? Out of anything. Okay. We'll uh, we'll be back. uh, Fifty Shades of Grey then. There you go. Thanks for listening. Imagine me carrying a dog in a body. I mean, come on.